The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, in our sermon series on mortifying your members, we begin considering specific sins that we need to murder in our lives. The first of these is fornication. Beloved, fornication is rampant in our society today. It's being promoted on TV, on movies, even on the ads that pop up on our phones. What is fornication? What does God say about fornication? How do we deal with fornication? How do we mortify fornication in our lives? This topic is a huge topic, and it's a difficult topic. The subject matter is very uncomfortable to speak about in public. But as a watchman on the wall, your pastor has a duty to deal with these things and to warn you of the enemy's approach. Join us today as we begin looking over the next several posts at the topic of fornication and how and why we should mortify it in our lives. But first, we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy. Afterwards, please stay tuned for the message.
this morning, uh, what I want to preach to you about is, is kind of an uncomfortable subject. If you'll turn with me to Colossians, the third chapter, we're going to look, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. But you may recall that a few weeks ago, we had started uh, speaking of speaking from this chapter about some things that we need to do in our daily walk. You know, we spent most of last year preaching from the Articles of Faith, laying the groundwork and the foundation of what we believe here at this church, what we believe fundamentally, the fundamentals of the faith, if you will. And those fundamentals are important because they lay the foundation for all the rest of our lives. If you go back to the book of Ephesians and you read the first three chapters or so, you're going to find that primarily those three chapters focus upon the fundamentals of the faith. But then beginning in about chapter 4 through the last three chapters of Ephesians, Paul focuses upon the very details of our lives. And the same thing here in the book of Colossians. It's a four-chapter book, but in many ways it mirrors Ephesians. It starts out laying the groundwork and the foundations of of who Christ is and who God is and what he's done for us. And then he turns here in chapter 3 to our own personal daily walk with him. And you see, it's important because what we believe ought to affect how we live. The things that we build our beliefs upon should be the very same things we build our lives upon. So this morning, we're going to start talking about some of these things. And if the Lord will bless us to continue on this vein, may, I hope we'll cover all of these things and maybe all the way through the end of this book of Colossians. But begin reading with me in chapter one or chapter three, rather, and verse one of Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He's reminding us here that our lives should not be focused upon the things in this world. We need to seek the things which are above and that's where Christ is. And he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now notice he's not talking about our death here. He's talking about our lives. The things we do, the way we live, should be hid with Christ in God. In an eternal sense, it already is. But in a timely sense, we need to work to make ourselves hidden in Christ. You know, what does that mean when you're hidden? When you're hidden, nobody sees you, right? They see what you're hidden behind. Well, the point here I believe he's making is, is that if we're hid in, with Christ in God, people ought to see Christ and God in us and not see us, you see. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. See, there's the great hope of the resurrection. We're hid in Christ now, and one day we'll be revealed in him in perfect, the perfect splendor of the glory of God. One day. So, understanding this, what should we do? Well, look at verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. The last time we spoke from this chapter, we talked about what that means. To mortify something means to murder it, kill it, destroy it, get it out, get it out of your life. 
We talked about that in a general sense last time, but today I want us to focus in upon these things that we need to murder in our lives. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, and notice the very first one, fornication. Fornication. Now, this list here in verse 5 covers what I'm going to call the sins of desire. They're kind of the sins of the heart. Um, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and so forth. When we come down to verse 8, he says we're to put off some things. Notice what those are. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying. Those are, are sins of division. Those are sins that are sins of the hands. They're sins of the actions more than just in the heart. They start in the heart, but anger displays itself in the public, right? In the public's eye. Uh, filthy communication, wrath, malice, all those things, lying. Those are action sins. But what he starts with in verse 5 is some things that are in our hearts that we need to murder. We need to mortify. And so... This morning, the Lord being my helper, and you pray for me, the first member we, want to, we must mortify and that I want to preach to you about is fornication. Fornication. Now, let me, let me preface my remarks with this. I recognize that many, many of God's children have been caught up in this sin, have committed this sin. This sermon is not preached to excoriate you if you've been caught up in that sin in your life. Rather, the sermon is preached, as Paul is preaching it here, to exhort us all to the right way of thinking and the right way of living going forward. So rather than being a sin to, or a sermon rather to beat you over the head, this is a sermon to encourage you on how to approach this particular sin in your life as we go forward. You remember the saying, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. See, that's, that's what we're here about, isn't it? We're not here to preach perfect lives to perfect people. We're here to preach about the brokenness of life and the things that we have all done in our lives that are wrong and are sinful and that God hates. Listen, there are things in all of our lives, in my life, in your life, that God hates. We're going to see that as we go through this. And we're going to find them in our lives the point is not to go back and, and to browbeat one another over what we have done. Uh, yes, there's things I've done in my life that I am ashamed of and that I should not have done and that I have been and should be called to account for. But beloved, the, what the purpose of the church is and the purpose of the Word of God is and the purpose of this sermon this morning is, is to encourage us into how we should live our lives and how we should teach it to others, whether it be our children or our grandchildren or just our peers out there anybody that we come across every saint has a past every sinner has a future if we follow the Lord and do it his way you know fornication the lust of the eyes and the lust of the mind and the pride of life that's the first thing that entered the garden wasn't it you know prior to the fall of Adam if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and you read about the creation of Eve, there's an innocuous little statement there that's made that's really not innocuous. It says, after that God created Eve and, and, and married Adam and Eve, it says, they were both naked and were not ashamed. 
There was no shame in the garden over that condition that they were in. The shame today of nakedness is displayed pridefully across our televisions, right? And it's a shameful thing today. And in fact, immediately after, after that they ate of the fruit of the, gar of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing was they knew that they were naked and they tried to cover themselves. See, for the first time, they knew uh, the, the shame of nakedness after sin entered this world. And today, as I've already said, this sin runs rampant. Beloved, I believe we're living in a post-Christian society. I, I don't believe the foundations of Christianity really uh, apply to many of our institutions anymore. They were founded upon them, but they've gotten away from them. No longer are we focused upon Christian values to guide us. And we and our young folks are assaulted with temptation every single second of every single day. And let me just say this too before I go any further. For those that say, well, preacher, you shouldn't be talking about these things in church. Well, I got to tell you, I'm not comfortable talking about these things in church. But my job is not to preach easy, sweet sermons that tickle your ears. My job is to preach the truth. As a matter of fact, you go back to Ezekiel chapter 33. Let's just go back there just for a minute. You want to know what a preacher's job is? It's just like the prophet of old. Let me just share this with you before we go any farther. You see, my job, one of my primary jobs is to be a watchman on the wall. I heard Elder Sonny Pyle say this one time. He said, if you live at the top of a high cliff, it's a whole lot better to build a high fence at the top of the cliff than a first aid station at the bottom, right? <laughs> so the point of being a preacher, and, to, and, and this message this morning is to be a watchman on the wall. In chapter 33 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of my people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Okay? He heard the sound of the trumpet and he took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But now notice this. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. If you listen and hear me, you'll deliver your soul, he's saying. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. Now understand that even if the warning is not sounded from the pulpit or from the watchman, you're still guilty if you're committing sin against the Lord, okay? But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. And notice he said, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. You know what I'm doing this morning? <laughs> I'm, transfer I'm transferring the blood guiltiness. <laughs> I don't want it to be on my head, you see. I don't want it to be on your head, but I sure don't want it to be on my head. So... That's what we're doing here this morning. And the problem in the world today is not just with the reprobate out there. It's not just with the non-elect. It's not just with the wicked out there. God's children don't know what the truth is. You know, Hosea, we're told in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, my, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know. 
They haven't been taught. And you know what? That comes back on the heads of many of the watchmen that God has set in the pulpits. Some he didn't set in the pulpits that they just got into the pulpits. But I'm telling you, those that are put in the pulpits are to be watchmen. So I want to talk to you this morning about fornication. And the first thing I want us to look at is what fornication is. Fornication is sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. That word here in chapter 3 is the, heat, the Greek word porneia. Porneia. Now, does that ring a bell? <laughs> you heard of pornography? You see? See, that porneia, that Greek word porneia, it's literally translated as harlotry, which includes adultery, includes incest, includes any intimate activity outside the bounds of marriage. You don't have to turn over there, but I'd make a note of this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Remember this verse. In the middle of some of his admonitions over there, the writer of Hebrews says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. In other words, there's nothing about marriage <clears throat> that's bad. There's nothing about marriage that's bad. And, and the activity, the intimate activity between a husband and a wife is undefiled. The bed is undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge now, now let me just stop here and I, I don't think I have to say this to you but when it says God will judge them that doesn't mean that if you commit adultery or fornication you're going to hell that's not what that means he's not talking about in an eternal sense if you're a child of God you can commit murder and you'll still go to heaven Okay, if you're a child of God. But oh, the consequences here. The consequences here. The judgment he's talking about is judgment here. He's writing to children of God. He's not writing to the wicked reprobate out there. He's writing to the church at Colossae. He's writing to God's people here, you see. And he says, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So the intimate union of a man and a woman within the confines of marriage is honorable and undefiled. The word honorable there means held as of great price or precious. In a metaphorical sense, it literally means to be held in honor or to be esteemed especially dear. And undefiled just simply means undefiled. It's not soiled by anything. It's like a, it's like a clean shirt, a clean white shirt. It's free from anything deformed or, or vulgar or debased, you see. Now, that which is defiled, he said, is the whoremonger and the adulterer. That word whoremonger there comes from the Greek word pornos. It's just a different version of the porneia, okay? And that's literally pointing towards a, an adulterer, someone who is faithless in a marriage or even many times faithless toward God. It's used in a, in a figurative sense. The word adulterer there means... Uh, someone who has broken the marriage vows. Whoremonger means one who has indulged in unlawful sexual activity. And I want to point something out to you here before we go any further, okay? It's really important to notice that both of these designate the male, the man, okay? It's a male version of that Greek word. Now, that does not mean that women are exempted because he's using it in general terms to refer to mankind and men in the sense of humans. 
But let me just say to you, it means that men are included. And this is my point. We all know that in our society there's a double standard. People tend to look at a man who is promiscuous in a different way than they look at a woman who is promiscuous. And that double standard is now and has always been foreign to the scriptures and opposed to the moral decrees of God. There is no difference between a man who is promiscuous and a woman who is promiscuous who is committing these acts. Don't buy into the double standard. You young folks particularly. I remember what it was like. I remember what people were called if you were a guy. I remember what you were called if you were a girl. But it's both wrong. It's a double standard that is foreign to the scriptures. And I want to point out something else about fornication. Fornication is any sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, sort of by way of laying the groundwork, you need to understand the culture in this day when Paul wrote this. He was writing in the Roman Empire in a culture that was hypersexualized. It was there was a focus upon that prostitution was rampant. Adultery was expected. Men were expected, and it was a double standard. Women were not. Men were expected to have a mistress on the side. And pagan worship involved both hetero and homosexual activities and practices. The emperor Tiberius, who was the emperor most likely during the time that when Jesus was crucified, according to ancient writers, he was a pedophile. And we've all heard about Nero, right? Nero who, who blamed the Christians when Rome burned. We're told from history that supposedly he married two of his male slaves. Pretty much anything goes. Anything was, was, it was all rampant in that day. Now I want to ask you a question. Does it sound familiar? Does the culture in that day sound familiar to something you see in this day? Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.